Hi, this is Nick Spencer. And this is Steve Lieber. We're the co-creators of The Superior Foes of Spider-Man. And you're listening to Amazing Spider Talk. Too many who know the angles, uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle be in Welcome to the Amazing Spider Talk. My name is Dan Gavazdan, and I'm the editor of SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. And I'm Mark Chinacchio, the editor of the Chasing Amazing blog. It's good to hear from you again, Mark. Yes. I, I do, do, do I sound good, Dan? You sound wonderful on our brand new microphones, everyone. Yay! Woo! Well, thanks again, everybody, for joining us for the, here we go again, the 17.1th episode of Amazing Spider Talk. We hope you enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors as we hope to look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture. Yes, Dan, and for this uh, better-sounding episode, we'll be discussing Amazing Spider-Man number 17.1 by Jerry Conway and Carlo Barberi, reading your comments and emails, giving away some prizes, and discussing all of the Spider-News that is fit to print. And there's a lot of it this time. Yeah. Lots of Spider-Man movie news, so if you movie fans out there, stay tuned. Right. Is he an Agent Ultron, Dan? (laughs) (laughs) We'll get to that. I'll answer that later, because I have seen Age of Ultron. Don't forget, everyone, if you hear this sound, please be sure to check out your iOS device for a link to an article, video, or image to enhance your listening experience. And I got to say, Mark, now that we're doing it weekly and the episodes are a little shorter, I've had more time to put more images in. So I hope you guys are enjoying all the images. You know, really take a look at your podcast every once in a while. I think you're going to be in for a treat. Yes, what the man said. Now, I think this is going to be an interesting discussion here, Mark, because based on our notes, I think you and I have very different opinions on this upcoming comic. So let's dive right in and discuss Amazing Spider-Man Dan, I guess this is going to be like our version of Civil War. Like, which side are you on? Do I get to be pro-registration? I don't know. Just who gets who gets to have the fake Thor? That's yeah, all I, I want. I totally <laughs> forgot about that until last week when uh, my comic book dealer or whatever you call them. Your, 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 your guy? <laughs> my guy, yeah. They get, Marvel is apparently doing all these free giveaways of number ones for all their upcoming Secret Wars tie-in so i got a number one of civil war and i was flipping through it again and i had totally forgotten that there was a fake thor in that book yep 
Ragnarok or whatever it's called. I, don't, I, can't, I can't say it. Well, uh, there you go. Anyway, but yes, yeah, so let's talk about Amazing Spider-Man 17.1. Uh, there is a difference of opinion here. Um, you know, Dan, maybe, maybe I am just like blinded by the fact that, you know, I've been reading a Spider-Man the last couple of, of months uh, from Jerry Conway and Carlo Barberia that isn't like making me cringe in terms of characterization and, and, and just, um, you know, just general mastery of the voice and the sense of humor. Um, so uh, I guess that's my one uh, preface to any praise I give. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess for me, I, what I'm liking about Spiral so far is I'm feeling that um, I'm reading this comic and it's kind of like my curiosity is what are these characters going to do next? Not what what is this story going to do to these characters next? Mm. <laughs> does, that, does that make sense? Sure. Yeah, I know that makes sense. And, and, you know, I, I do like the dynamic that, that uh, Jerry has captured here with, with Spider-Man and the Wraith. Um, you know, I know that there's, there's been some criticism levied, and I think it's fair criticism that, you know, the, the, the central character of, of this comic might be a little muddied. But I, I like how he is playing both of these characters off each other and kind of their, their own interpretations on what it, you know, on, on what they can bring to this idea of justice, um, through their vigilantism. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I just think that it's a very cerebral approach. Uh, there's action, but the action sets up character moments, more interesting character moments. So I, I, I'm still a big fan of what spiral has done so far. Yeah. I, you know, I agree with you on all these things. I just, I think maybe it's not, I'm not as high in praise of this book. I, I think it's still a good book. Um, and light years better than what we're getting in the main. I guess we're going to call it the main title or the non point one version of this book. Um, also, because like a lot of the things that are going on here, like they they feel like they count. You know what I mean? Uh, the, the stuff that's going on in the main series, yeah, I guess it does count. But it, that series feels so much like it's on pause for Secret Wars. Um, this story feels like these are actually going to be. You know, in influential changes to the status quo or the ongoing continuity of Spider-Man and, and his relationship to, um, I guess, the gang culture. Um, but I think for me, despite liking all the things you praised, you did mention that there is like this kind of mix-up in terms of uh, who the main character of this book is. And I have no problem with the main character of this book being uh, Captain Yuri Watanabe. Uh, or Watanabe or whatever, uh, however her name is pronounced. Um, Just say Wraith. <laughs> Wraith. Okay, yes. I'm fine with that, but I think the reason I haven't really fully connected with this book and this plotting, I'm not like totally sold on being that excited or curious about what's going to happen, is that um, the book tries to kind of have it both ways in terms of its protagonist, and I think it kind of sells them both out short. Um, and I think that's best exemplified by how the story is told with them. With Spider-Man, we're getting zero Peter Parker, which I think is almost essential in a good Spider-Man story, but I'm willing to kind of like let it be. But we're getting all of his internal monologue through the text boxes, and I think that's great. And nobody does that. I mean, like, few people do it the way that Conway does here. I mean, it's just refreshing, like you said. But so much of this book is spent on the Wraith character, and we don't get those 
looks into her mind like we are with Spider-Man. So I feel like the Spider-Man stuff is really warm and exciting, but so much time is spent away from that. And that character, while interesting, feels so alien to me. It's left me kind of cold on the on the book. Yeah, I'm, I, I see what you're saying. I mean, I would disagree in that I do think that we're getting some moments inside of Spider-Man's head. And, and I think that they're good moments. They're quality moments. Um, you know, it, it, granted, some of these moments are kind of him reflecting on this kind of reluctant partnership he has with uh, the Wraith right now throughout the story. Um, I mean, there was that one scene where, you know, it, it's it's kind of funny. I, I, I like these subtle juxtapositions that Conway keeps working in with, with both of these characters. Um, you know, you have that opening scene. And, and, and I, I mean, just, just to stop right there for a second, I loved the opening scene of this comic. It felt very old school, very kind of Bronze Age, Spider-Man fun, like him crashing through the skylight of the of the you know the the Knickerbocker Hotel so we have we have a sense of place in New York which is just something that's been so lacking in in Spider-Man comics I mean New York is barely a character uh in these comics these days um you know they they'd rather be in like empty gray hallways standing in a circle uh <laughs> um and and just him kind of you know first kind of doing his smartest man in the room kind of banter and then you know but then kind of showing that vulnerability of you know upon leaving the scene of reflecting about what's going on with the wraith where it's like you know he's he's acknowledging that you know this woman is is kind of going over the deep end but you know he's also trying to sympathize it's that 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 guilt that always comes with the character you know so like to have that guilt that kind of kind of contrast the cockiness uh from the scenes with like hammerhead and, and goblin king earlier earlier yeah i guess so so phil is phil is still the goblin king right is that is that the um well that that's an interesting question that you asked because continuity wise the last time we saw and i hate to be this guy but the <laughs> last time that we saw the goblin king he was arrested in axis hobgoblin number three right um so you know I don't know what he's doing here. Is he break out of jail? You know, this happens a lot in comics. The characters break out and we don't see it. But so soon after that past thing, I kind of, you know, expected to have some kind of acknowledgement of it. Um, but, yeah, I guess it's Phil. I mean, he does say, I'm not like the other guy. I'm more sane. But I guess if – and I doubt this is what's happening. I'm just saying this. Don't take this as me saying – any theory of what's happening. But if you wanted to say that it was Norman, I guess you could say that Norman went sane um, and could be passing himself off as the Goblin King. But I, right. I don't think that that's what's happening here. Yeah, I don't, I don't see them unveiling Norman again in a, in a kind of offshoot miniseries. But, you know, I mean, you know, if anyone has a right beyond Dan Slott to write Norman, it would be Jerry Conway. But, right. Well, but. and Hammerhead. Right, right, but I'm just saying, like, you know, like Osborne is kind of like that, that you know, ace in the hole, you know, ace in the hole now for for Marvel. You know, like he only gets kind of rolled out there for special things. Sure, and, sure. Um, even 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 if the even if the special things he's been rolled out for don't always justify it. <laughs> <laughs> you mean most of the special things he's been ro- rolled out for? Yeah. 
like I said, I, I, I do feel you get some insight. It's, it's funny. I love, I love when Peter is more of a character than Spider-Man. Like, you know, we talk about that during like the J. Michael Straczynski issues we talked about uh, a few months ago. Um, but I, I just feel that Conway's Spider-Man is just so like keyed in right now. It doesn't bother me. Yeah. It's just like, like I, I, like this is, this is a Spider-Man that is confident yet vulnerable is, you know, like, you know, I'm not waiting for, for a sidekick or another spider to kind of jump in and save his behind because he's in over his head. Um, I think, I think where he is in over his head is this alliance he formed with the, with the Wraith. Um, and that's kind of more what I want from a Spider-Man comic. I don't like, like you know, I don't want to like feel like I'm reading this book about an inferior character. And I feel like that's what Marvel has been pushing since Peter's return, you know. And 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 I don't, I don't get it. I don't get why, you know, people. <laughs> what what benefits anybody to to make your main character feel like a, come across as a fool and a, and a, and a, and a a jerk <laughs> to a, to a lot of people. So, um, yeah, I, you know. I, I agree with you on on, on that. I'm, I I will say though, it would be nice to see Peter, and I hope he shows up in this story. And it's gonna be one of those things, you know, looking back on the story as a whole, you know, how much it feels like. Because to me, for a story to be really a Spider-Man story, it needs to include Peter in in some. Regard. Otherwise, like this book could very just as easily be a daredevil story. You know, the kind of dealing with making bad deals and moral complications involved with the gang. You know, to me, there's something about Parker that make like basically delineates a Spider-Man story from any other person with powers that can go into a room and beat up a bunch of guys. Yeah, that's 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 fair. Um, that being said, like a a Peter Parker list Spider Man story isn't a bad thing. Like I'm enjoying this book. I'm just something is not connecting for me, um, and I think actually a lot of that has to do with the art, which I, we can talk about later if you'd want. Yeah, yeah. I mean, let's uh, if we can let's let's touch on a few more of these character moments. Sure, first. sure. I mean, um, you know, I I think one scene that I really liked. Um, that kind of felt unexpected to me was this exchange between Yuri and the judge. Oh, that was my favorite part of the book. Because like, I mean, like this is, this is an instance and this is where, you know, like, again, this is kind of where I think this book has a little touch of something special going on with it. Because like, you know, you have a corrupt judge that let Tombstone off the hook in, in, in 16.1. And that really could have just been it. You know what I mean? Like there was no need to, go another layer here. And I feel Conway recognized that he could make this story more compelling by introducing this idea of, of the judge um, having his own personal reasons for why he, he purchased, you know, painkillers from tombstone um, and that, you know, but at the, you know, at the same time, kind of going back to the whole thing of, but you know, the reason I, I, you know, let Tombstone off the hook had nothing to do with this deal. It was, it was, you know, that your, your, your partner didn't follow the system. Um, you know, so it just kind of creates this, this, the shades of gray, black, you know, it's not so black and white. And I think it was like equally interesting how 
you know, the Wraith who is kind of operating in this like shades of gray, you know, I'll cut deals with Mr. Negative if the ends justify the means. Yet when it comes to this judge, she sees things very black and white. And I like the complexity of that, that, you know, nothing, nothing is just simple in this book. This book is kind of making the reader work a little bit in, in trying to figure out what's actually going on in these characters' heads. And, and I, you know, I don't think things should be spoon fed to us. I, I, you know, like I want to have to work a little bit. I don't want to be like, I don't want to work all the time, (laughs) but you know what I mean? Like it shouldn't, it shouldn't be, well, this is good. This is bad. The end, you know, like you need that. I think in a, in a, in a, in a well-told story. Sure. And there's a great moment where Yuri kind of yells at him about this, you know, like, I don't care about the system kind of thing, you know? And for me, that was the first time where I was like, all right, Yuri is, like, crossing the line here. Um, and I think it's interesting because in a way, and, and maybe this is just a weird timeliness thing, you know, we've got, you know, the, the police in New York City have, are kind of under a lot of investigation and, and skepticism right now. And here we have this character that's using the police force almost as her own gang. Um, and by the end of this book, she's kind of becoming a gang lord, um, just not in the conventional way. And I think this scene is the first time we see her really, um, uh, like, breaking out of her, like, uh, role with the police in that she, like, openly expresses that she doesn't care about the rules. She just yeah. j- cares about the end. And that's, and that's what all these gang lords are. That's their mantra, you know? Right. But I think this I think this book, I mean, in the last issue did this, too. It, it, it is challenging a lot of conventions because, you know, it's 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 kind of looking at this idea of what is the system. And if you're operating outside of the system, then, you know, what sets you apart from anyone else? And, and um, you know, I think I said this in our last spiral episode. I like stories where Spider-Man Peter is worldview is kind of challenged a bit um you know like it, it you know with great power must also come great responsibility has been you know the 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 you know par for the course forever so but but it's always good to kind of like you know well, what exactly does that mean and and you know there's that great scene i i enjoyed this line towards the end where you know yuri kind of busts through and talks about you know my my you're you know i'm defending my turf and Spider-Man is like, we're not, we don't protect turf, we protect people, which is, you know, like the admirable, heroic thing to say. But the thing is, Spider-Man and the Wraith, in this regard, they're, they're still trying to achieve the same end, which is to kind of bust up this, this gang war. So it's like, you know, where, what, what makes Spider-Man have a true claim to the higher ground? Because he's operating outside the confines of the law. As a as a masked superhero, you well, know it's he's not working through a system. He has his system. You know it's like, but his system isn't the system. Yeah, one one of the I think the most important scenes in this book and most interesting to me is when Yuri is um, approached by Mister Negative in the parking lot, and he, you know, uh, and he's like, he he basically unveils to her like. You know, I might be playing you. Why? Why are you accepting all these things for me? And she says, "Everybody is playing everyone else." So, you know, I just had to accept that. And right. um, 
you know, and, and she's willing to like get her like her like you know hands dirty a little bit here, you know, and 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 what does Peter have to offer? We're gonna find out. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. But that was interesting to me. Absolutely. But 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 do you know what I'm saying in terms of this idea of like, you know, I I, I like I said, I think that's what makes this book, uh, you know, special to me is that I I just think that these these conventions that we take for granted or, or, you know, like Conway's pushing it a little bit. I, I like that. I like, I like to see a creator kind of come in and, and push on that a little bit and, and challenge us and not just have it be so black and white. I absolutely agree with you. I mean, this book, the book's writing is definitely, I mean, say what you will about Conway, but he's definitely a craftsman. Like he's really focused on how do I tell this story and what is this story going to mean from beginning to end? And he always, you know, even if it's something goofy like Doc Ock marrying Aunt May, there was there was a like a thematic, you know, uh, point to telling that story. Yeah, you, you know what I mean. Um, so you know, whether it, uh, whether my complaints about like the kind of lack of clarity around the protagonist and and the way the protagonist's story is told, like this is a very competently told story that's addressing some real things, you know, and, and, and a lot of issues don't do that. It's just people punching each other. Right. Um, uh, also known as Spider-Verse. Right. And, you know, the, 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 the one instance for, a, you know, a true full-blown fight scene in this actually gets cut a little short, right? The Spider-Man hammerhead scene. Yeah, well, I mean, I think there's a number of scenes in this that cut, get cut a little bit short, and it's kind of awkward, uh, well, like the first time that Spider-Man goes to fight Hammerhead, he, he shoots his gun with a, his webs, you know, and takes his Tommy gun, um, and then Hammerhead's mysteriously just gone from the scene. Right. But yeah, this second time, Hammerhead, who you know in recent years had his entire skeleton replaced with adamantium, and I don't know if you remember, Mark, that's like issue five something. Mm-hmm. Five seventy something, maybe. Um, he really hurt Spider Man. I don't just mean like, you know, like a little bit of damage. I mean, he like basically almost kills him, you know. And here, Spider Man just dispatches him in one punch. Seems a little uh, out of continuity to me. Maybe it was all the chewing gum Hammerhead kept taking. <laughs> um, did you notice that? Yeah. What's up with that? I don't know. It's a, a nervous tick, I guess. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was a little disappointed. I mean, at the same token, um, kind of going back to the original thought I was making when, when we started this discussion, it, it's, you know, I'm just so used to Spider-Man being made to look like a chump lately. And and, and I know that it's probably unfair to like base the entire premise of a review on like, well, you know, this is this is you know what's the closest proximity in terms of Spider-Man comics, and it's not this, and I like this better, so thus this must be great. Um, I know that that logic doesn't totally come through, and maybe if this story was released in a different time and place, I'd have you know slightly different opinions on it. Uh, but that's the, that's the you know the hand that we've been dealt, so to speak. <laughs> and and, and um, yeah, I mean, I would have liked to see more of a struggle. Um, between Spider-Man and Hammerhead, but all the same, it was like, yeah, you know, like Spider-Man can take a guy out with a punch sometimes, you know what I mean? Like, like why, why, why is that 
like it never seems to be on the table anymore. I mean, putting aside if he should be able to take Hammerhead out with one punch, but like, you know, like he, he, it just seems like this character is in so much peril. I mean, he was getting like totally owned by Electro and Black Cat in an arc earlier this year. I mean, come on, you know, <laughs> like, you know, I mean, Electro, Electro always kind of gets like his one shot in and then that's it. But I mean, it just seemed like he was just constantly taking care of Peter and then freaking Black Cat. So, <laughs> I mean, just enough. I mean, I, I, I just was just kind of happy to see. Oh, okay, yeah, that's right. He can he can take a guy out every once in a while if he needs to, you know, like without without Silk coming to the rescue and lighting candles. There is there is a refreshing lack of Silk in this book. <laughs> but let's talk about this artwork. I would like to talk about this artwork. Because I think we both have problems with it. Yes, I have some real problems with it. Mark, what are your problems with it? It just doesn't fit. And, and you know, like it's it's funny that you mentioned – this kind of having the tone of a daredevil story because that's kind of the style of artwork I would love to see for this. Like kind of, I mean, look, look what, um, Javier Rodriguez is doing for spider woman right now. Like, I feel like that kind of visual tone is what this book needs. And, you know, I, it, it's like, I look at what Barbieri is doing and I, it just seems very competent, but it doesn't, there's nothing about it that makes me feel like this is like, and I don't want to sound mean, but it doesn't feel like this is a professional piece of comic book art. You know no, what I mean? No, I hate saying that too because, you know, I mean, in many ways, I think he's kind of the, at the midpoint between Ramos and Common Coley. It's like right. kind of got the detail of Common Coley with the cartooniness of Ramos. But something about the style just doesn't click for me, but especially with this story, it doesn't work. But but even just beyond that, like in simple layout and um, and visual storytelling uh, uh, methods, this this comic is full of so many things that just aggravate me artistically, um, such as this thing called screen direction, where like a character is looking one way on the screen. There's this thing in filmmaking called the 180 degree rule, where if you're shooting a scene, you can only be on the 180 degrees, like invisible 180 degrees on one side of the characters so that when you move from image to image, they're still looking the same way. So like someone's looking to the right, the next time you cut, they're still looking to the right instead of looking to the left. And this book flips every other panel where characters are flipping and it's so – the geography of the visuals is so confusing um, for no reason – it just seems really sloppy and unprofessional to me. Yeah. Did um, you notice that at all? I mean, not to the, the, the level of detail that you have, but I mean, but uh, no, but I agree with you. I mean, you pointed it out. I agree with that. But, but e- even just on like a, like a more obvious thing, like I was mentioning the hammerhead just straight up disappearing in the scene, you know, I would think, uh, uh, you know, uh, an artist's job is to say what's important and how do I yeah. visually communicate that? And to me, it was like, what just happened here? Yeah. No, you're right. Um, and I think the colors are weird, too. Yeah. Well, we had that issue even with the first one, right? Because he was supposed to be punching out Tombstone and the coloring was way off, right? Right. And I, I, I thought maybe that's not Tombstone. No, it it's just some was. guy. But now, uh, apparently, it definitely was. Yeah. So... Um, 
It's um, just strange so, you would bring back an A-list talent like um, like Jerry Conway and not provide him with like a more you know professional team or one of the top teams. Right. Well, I mean, they they also could be just trying to groom Barbieri for something, and you know, like, got to start somewhere. Absolutely, absolutely. So, Mark, what's your grade on this book? Well, you know, it's it's funny, Dan. You know, and over the course of the conversation, not that I've changed, not that I'm changing my grade drastically, but you know, I, you you you've made compelling points. So I'm, I'm going to notch it a tick lower than what I originally was going to say, and I'm going to say B plus. And I think the writing here is pretty wonderful, um, but that artwork, you know, as a whole package, I'm going to have to give this thing a C plus. All right, Dan. So this wasn't as uh, as heated and brutal as it could have been. No, absolutely not. I, I think we have enough of a mutual respect for each other that we are not going to bring the gloves. <laughs> this time, Dan. We, we, yeah, one day we'll discuss Spider-Man Rain again. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, before that, uh, why, we, why don't we get to your comments and emails? So, of course, uh, you can uh, find Amazing Spider Talk on iTunes and Stitcher. And uh, if you do, uh, we ask that you subscribe to us. And when you subscribe to us, we ask that you leave us uh, some comments uh, on iTunes and a rating and, and, you know, all those good things because that's how we grow our community. Uh, you can also email us at AmazingSpiderTalk at gmail.com uh, or tweet at us uh, with the hashtag OKToPrint. Okay right, Dan? Yeah, we've been getting a couple of those in. So uh, keep sending them our way. Okay to print on the Twitter. And um, just as another reminder, I'm still giving away my amazing Spider-Man number 72. I've got it sitting here in front of me in all of its glory. Uh, that's the Stan Lee, John Romita Sr. issue with the shocker blasting the wall. A really great cover. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's one of my favorites, and um, th- this is only going to last for two more weeks, so if you haven't commented yet, make sure you do. May 7th is going to be the last day th- that I'm going to count people's uh, comments uh, towards this raffle, and um, so we'll be announcing on our May 8th show, which should be our next review of Amazing Spider-Man, um, uh, who won the prize, so uh, make sure you listen in on that date as well. Um, so let's get to the comments. We got we got our first one here is from, you know what? I'm not even going to try this. CCBXTR, um, sure. And uh, it's t- entitled "Great All Round Podcast," five out of five. And he writes, or she writes, uh, as a very longtime fan of Spider-Man, it's great to hear a podcast that has the same love for the character. Not only do Dan and Mark do a very smart review of the current issue, they do a fairly comprehensive roundup of all of the Spider-Man news, movies, editorials, anything else relevant to Peter, Miles, Gwen, Miguel, etc. They also interview top creators, which adds great insight to the hero we love from the people who formed our favorite hero. In addition, they also review older runs or trades, which also shows their grasp of the character. I like how they're not just a rubber stamping anything Spider-Man related. They give very incisive and critical observations. They're not afraid to express disappointment or disbelief, which I feel is very honest. This is a very fantastic podcast, a very professional product. Subscribe to this and stay informed. So thank you for that really nice review, and we're sorry that we're expressing more disappointment and disbelief than I think people... Uh, expected when they first tuned in 
uh, to our show. No. And, but I guess there's an audience for that. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, uh, well, we, I guess we like this issue a little bit better. So, you know, uh, here's hoping that there's going to be an upswing to all this uh, disappointment. But we still have fun, right, Mark? Yeah, maybe we'll end up renewing our vows oh. with our book in a few months. Oh, oh, get I what see, I did there? I what did get there. what I did there? Yeah, only because you pointed it out to me. Right, yeah. Um, this next comment is from Epic Power Vulcan 77. That, that just sounds like the name of a person who would listen to our podcast right there. It's, 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 a, it's a godly name. Uh, And it's uh, titled Favorite Podcast, five stars out of five. And Epic writes, oftentimes the best part about the release of a new Spider-Man comic book is getting to listen to Dan and Mark review and discuss it on their show. Even those who don't keep up with the current comics will find something to enjoy here in the form of an intelligent and engaging look into the world of Spider-Man. Well, thank you so much. Epic Power Vulcan 77. That's awesome. Do you think there are 76 other Epic Power Vulcans? Maybe this one, this one was born in 1977. That would be my guess, but I'm kind of hoping that there's that many other epic power Vulcans out there. Okay, I'll I'll I'll, I'll start looking for that. Our world needs a hero, Mark. Will do. Okay. And I am I am the hero you deserve, which <laughs> is by you know I'm not looking this up. <laughs> <laughs> do you bleed, Dan? <laughs> yes, I do actually. Uh, okay, that's all I need. And to know. so does Superman, apparently. Okay. <laughs> Uh, what about some emails, Dan? Yeah, we don't really have any like questions for us this week, but we got some corrections or like responses to some of the questions we asked last time. And I, I asked uh, last uh, or a couple episodes ago if people could email us if they know what J. Jonah Jameson Sr. did as a job. And I got about five or so emails about this, uh, uh, one particularly from Ian Raystrick, who sa- uh, lets us know that Jonah Sr., is a very successful ghost writer. And I have to admit, Mark, I was a little embarrassed that I didn't remember that. Mark, d- does that sound familiar to you at all? Yeah, it sounds familiar, but I'm not embarrassed because, you know, whatever. I'm not <laughs> an encyclopedia, damn it. I guess, I guess nothing has been done with that, so we're fair to, uh, to forget yeah. it. Jay Sr.'s pockets must be lined with gold. <laughs> Speaking, All right, well, speaking of, of line, oh! oh. <laughs> speaking of line with gold, why don't we talk about some donations and subscriptions, Dan? You know it's bad when we both have the same segue. <laughs> <laughs> time of the show where i sound like i'm reading off a script on a page no i'm kidding now is the time of the show where we thank all the wonderful people who have decided to donate some of their hard-earned money to the show and have opted to join the 
Friendly Neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club. This week, we have one new member to the club. Thanks to Jonathan Forget for donating to the show and becoming a member. I wonder if Jonathan ever has any problems with his last name where people say, like, you know, uh, what's your last name? And he says, Forget. Or does he say, Forget about it? Oh. So uh, speaking of um, of your donations, actually, you know, if, if Mark and I sound nicer this episode, it's because we use that money to invest in the show and get you, you know, us better microphones for recording. Um, so thanks again for everybody who became a member um, and allowing us to invest in, in better equipment for our show. It's true. We don't just use your money to have weddings in Bryant Park. Although that's not a bad idea. You know, let's think about that, Dan. Yeah. <laughs> of course, uh. if you're a member, please be sure to check your email for your free comics. And if you'd like to join the me- Friendly Neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club, gosh, I already am flubbing this, uh, and help our show, please go to our site and click on the giant button that reads Friendly Neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club. I got it that time, Mark. You did it. You did it. I Friendly did Neighborhood it. Spider Talk Members Club. <laughs> uh, but why don't we talk about some spider news now, Dan? All right, Dan, so there's a lot going on in the world of Spider-Man outside of the comics, it would seem. Uh, we got some, uh, some news and leaks coming out of what the new MCU Spider-Man slash Peter Parker is going to be. Uh, what, what's your takeaway from this? Yeah, well, there's a lot of things that, you know, Kevin Feige, who I actually got to meet a couple days ago. Oh, um, look at you. Uh, hold on. Let me pick up that name you just dropped, Dan. <laughs> thanks. Thanks for picking it up for me, Mark. No problem. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to misplace it. Yes. Um, uh, he did this interview where he talked about, you know, the future of the MCU and talked a lot about uh, Spider-Man. And he kind of said that, you know, I think what we were all kind of assuming based on all the news that's been coming out, but... He's confirmed that, you know, Peter Parker will be a high school-aged kid in between the ages of 15 and 16. We're not getting an origin story. And he, he specifically went to Batman Begins saying that that would be the model for um, what they were doing. So I imagine if he's referring to that, that the story origin is going to be mixed throughout, you know, the rest of the story. And, and he um, made particular mention of the ultimate Spider-Man character. Um, so maybe it'll be even more ultimate focused. I think a lot of people expected that Amazing Spider-Man would be very ultimate uh, focused, and in some ways it is, but in most ways it's not. I would say. Yeah. Um, but one of the things he was really clear about was emphasizing Spider-Man's wit and how important that's going to be for the character. So we'll get someone really funny, and I think given Marvel's track record, they're going to be able to deliver on the laughs. Um, I think that's one thing that's consistent in all of their movies um, is is good humor. And he also stated that the costume has already been designed, and I think what he means is they're just using the costume from the comics. You know, don't design something else. Um, right, right. So, what are your what are your feelings about all this all this news, Mark? Well, this is in line with with what I was expecting. And, and yeah, I mean, I think you kind of have to lean heavily on the ultimate universe if you're going to use a teenager, because I just don't think 
Um, you know, the other the other way to go for Teenage Spider-Man is are those Lee Dicko issues, which as much as we love them, I mean, I don't think modern moviegoers are going to connect with a 15 or 16 year old who like quotes Ayn Rand and stuff like that. So, uh, <laughs> so, um, but no, I mean, I, I think this is this is positive. I mean, I do wonder. And, you know, we'll we'll talk about this some other time, I'm sure. But, you know, if this version of Spider-Man is going to be what's ultimately reflected in the comics, I, I, I feel like that's this is this is kind of like that ideal version of Spider-Man, the one that they always wanted, you know, going back to those that infamous uh, retreat where Tom Brevoort responded that, you know, he felt that Spider-Man's defining characteristic was his youth. Um, so. Um, it doesn't shock me that this is where they want to go in terms of their cinematic universe. But, um, you know, it's 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 good that they have a plan. I mean, there was there, there was also some like more leaked Sony emails about, you know, reactions to Amazing Spider-Man 2. And it's just very clear that um, this the direction of this character needed to kind of get away from the hands from Sony. So. Did you uh, did you uh, read Kevin Feige's uh, response to Amazing Spider-Man Two? Yes, yeah, that's that's what I'm referring to. It I was mean, pretty brilliant. Yeah, it's so. clear that this guy knows the character. Uh, yeah, really well. Absolutely. Yeah, and I mean, I felt he was fair in his criticism of that movie too. But um. and he gave it credit where credit was deserved. You know, he wasn't all negative, and I think, you know, he seems like a kind of guy that's easy to work with and. And but like knows what what works and what doesn't. Right, right. Well, I, it was also interesting that he said that they had planned a phase three of the Marvel universe with and without Spider Man. That they had kind of known that they were going to get Spider Man back in October when they released all their titles, but couldn't announce it until things were like kind of signed off on. So you know uh, they kind of had to be mum about it and then shift things later when it was allowed to be. Like you know, official, um, which makes you wonder if the Sony hack really had that much of an influencing power on uh, whether this deal was going to happen. If it was already going to go down before that hack was was um, perpetrated, I think that deal was the 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 road to that deal was paved with the lack of success for the second Spider-Man movie. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, I think I think at that point Sony realized they needed. You know, if they were going to maintain a profitable share of this character, they needed to do something very, very different. Not to get off on a crazy different topic, but did you see the uh, the leak about the proposed plot and designs for the Sinister Six movie? No, I I I, I managed to skip that one, Dan. Anything? Anything cringeworthy or there? Well, a number of the notes there said that they thought Sinister was too negative of a title. So they were going to just call it some, some other adjective six. Um, okay. I mean, that's sexy not, six. Yeah, sexy six. I like that. Um, okay. And that the team would include Spider-Man and like Venom and uh, or he would be wearing the Venom suit in the movie. And the villain was going to be Gog. Um and that they would be fighting in the um, Savage Land, and that at the end of the movie, Sandman would be a would be like Godzilla rampaging into New York and be the size of a skyscraper. Um, all of these things very disconcerting, uh, I think. Although maybe in context they could have worked, 
But reading these notes, uh, and most of them provided by Drew Goddard, has me a little concerned that he's, you know, going to be directing this new Spider-Man movie. But I imagine with Kevin Feige uh, reining him in, maybe he won't have to go so weird as to make Gog the villain of a Sinister Six movie. Yeah, I mean, I guess it just depends on what the context is. Because, I mean, Drew Goddard was very very heavily involved with um, Daredevil on Netflix. And obviously we felt that was well done. So Yeah, and he did Cabin in the Woods as well, which I think is an excellent movie. Yeah, so, so I mean, I'm not who too knows? worried. I mean, I'm let's, let's, worried. let's, let's, you know, in terms of where the direction for that movie was come from, I mean, you know. Who knows? What's, 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 our, what's our good friend's name over at Sony? Uh, Avi Arad. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. He probably had more of his hands in it than, I, than I'm giving uh, Drew Goddard credit for. Right. But we have another very bizarre, not even bizarre, but just kind of strange from, I guess, a marketing standpoint, uh, development in the Spider-Man movie universe, Mark. Yeah, um, we got this new animated Spider-Man movie coming from Sony. It's going to be directed by uh, the directors of the Lego movie, right? Yeah, yeah. Chris Miller and Phil Lord, who, you know, I I love their movies. Um, You know, particularly their animated movies, like the Lego movie and Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. So, I gotta say, like, I'm kind of excited to see what they would do, but I have to think that this is going to be kind of confusing from a marketing standpoint to those people trying to follow Spider-Man in the, in the movies. Yeah. I mean, I, I would agree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, unless it's completely different and imagine knowing them, maybe it's going to be like very, you know, comical, you know, uh, cartoony version of Spider-Man that we won't see in the Marvel universe. But do we need two Spider-Man movies in one year? Yes. No. (laughs) (laughs) That said, you know what? I will give Sony the benefit of the doubt here. They, you know, produced all of the animated versions of Spider-Man that we're used to, like the 90s cartoon and spectacular Spider-Man. And I would say that those animated, you know, uh, versions of Spider-Man are really quite wonderful. Yeah, um, so so maybe they got something going in, in the right direction on that end. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I guess this is this last bit of news. Now, Dan, I know that you endured 29 straight hours of Marvel movies, right? I did. I went to the Marvel Marathon, which is where oh. I met Kevin Feige. Yes. And, like, I mean, it was a star-studded uh, affair. And also uh, my eyes are still recovering from... I think it ended up being more closer to 30 hours or maybe 31 hours of, of being at this marathon. Um, but it all culminated in the premiere of uh, Age of Ultron. Okay. Now, obviously, for our listeners who want to avoid any kind of possible spoilers, you can just skip to the next chapter. But for those who are still on board, so Dan... Uh, what does everybody want to know in terms of Spider-Man and Age of Ultron? They want to know if he's in there, if he's in the post-credits for uh, for Age of Ultron. And God knows I've seen more articles about this than I've ever cared to. Yes. Um, including a, like, fake... Um, yeah, like, like a fake YouTube thing, video, right? Which, the minute I saw it, it was clearly a fake, and people gave it way more credit than it... Like, really, that they would unveil Spider-Man with a window-washing sequence? Come on. Uh, 
Well, this is the same franchise that ended a movie with people eating shawarma, Dan. That, that so. is true. Okay, okay, I take it back. I take it back. If you believe that that was a real thing, you know, that's fine. Right. But anyway, so is he in it, Dan? No, he's not in it. And he was never going to be in it. He's not in it. There is, in fact, there is no post-credits sting in Age of Ultron. There's a post-movie sting, but there is no post-credits sting. And Dan, is there a Santa Claus? There is not a Santa Claus. So I'm sorry, Virginia. Santa wow. is in your heart. You just crushed two of my things today. So, <laughs> so uh. everybody, you don't, even, you don't even need to stay through the credits of Age of Ultron. Although I would recommend it. Because there are a ton of visual effects people that need their names to be seen for about All five right. minutes. All right, Dan. Well, while you sit there and look at the visual effects people, why don't you also get us to the end of our show? Of course. Well, thanks for joining us, everybody. And if you want to listen to more of our podcasts, you can, of course, find all of our new Amazing Spider Talks and our old Superior Spider Talk podcasts at superiorspidertalk.com. Or find us on iTunes and Stitcher by searching for Amazing Spider Talk. And if you do, don't forget to leave us a rating and a comment to let us know how we're doing. And we'll be sure to read it on the air like we've done today. And if you have any opinions on the comics that we discussed today, which is Amazing Spider-Man 17.1, be sure to email them to us at AmazingSpiderTalk at gmail.com. And we'll address and read those on the air as well. Yes, Dan, and also be sure to check out both of our Facebook pages at facebook.com slash superior spider talk and facebook.com slash chasing amazing. Uh, as we always like to say, these are great places to keep up with us between shows. Uh, Dan and I each put up some articles, we put some comments, we'll answer uh, any messages you send to those accounts, uh, breaking news, and all that fun stuff. So, Facebook, Facebook, do it, sign up, like us, do all that stuff. Uh, also, don't forget to check out our friendly neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club. That helps support our show and makes me get tongue-tied at least once an episode. Um, of course, our great and wonderful theme song is courtesy of Rylan Bojack. And our equally great and wonderful outro song comes from Magic. Uh, stay tuned for our announcement of what essential book we'll be reading next. Uh, Dan, do you want to reveal this one since this is your choice? Yeah, uh, our... Uh, next essential book. I hope you guys are enjoying our essential episodes, but our next essential book, like you said, Mark, is my choice, and the first one I'm going with is actually two books, but one story, and that is Amazing Spider-Man numbers 617 and 625, the Rhino stories. Uh, Ra- uh, was yes. it Rage of the Rhino and Endangered Species? Uh, the Joe Kelly Rhino books, right? Yeah, I, I love those books, and we're going to be talking about them next week. So be sure to dig through your long box, go on your Marvel Unlimited, or buy them. Just go and do whatever you can do to catch up on those two books uh, so you can join us for our awesome discussion about whether or not it's an essential Spider-Man book. Um, In the meantime, though, Mark, where can we find you on the Internet? Yes, of course. Well, you can find all of my Spider-Man content at www.chasingamazingblog.com. Uh, where uh, we just kind of wrapped up a little Underworld series uh, uh, the last week or so. Uh, And now I actually haven't really figured out what theme I'm going to do next. I might just do some random uh, assorted old issues that I – that I retrospect on or whatever the, whatever the actual verb is. Uh, <laughs> also you can find me on Twitter at chasing ASM blog. 
And you can find my listicle stuff on comicbook.com. Dan, what about you? Uh, yeah, well, of course, you can read all of my Spider-Man writing at superiorspidertalk.com. You can uh, tweet at us at at suppspidertalk or tweet at me personally at at Dan Gavazdin on Twitter. Um, and uh, you can also listen to my other podcast, the Movie Dare podcast, where this week we're discussing about the magic puppy. Oh. Yes, it's a really terrible puppy movie. Okay. Um, should be quite fun. And, uh, yeah, we got some great stuff on my site. We have a, a, a brand-new contributor who's doing uh, merchandise reviews for us. So if you're a Spidey merchandise person, come on over and check out some of those articles. Sounds like a plan, Dan. Um, so can I tell you a story before Do, we leave? Does it involve my marathon? Well, I was going to say, so – I was hanging out outside of what theater was it in Los Angeles? The the El Capitan. I was hanging outside the El Capitan where um, this uh, very nice older gentleman came walking out. Looked a little bleary eyed, a little tired. Was he in an Elmo costume? Because it's on Hollywood Boulevard. No, 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 no. He was like you know, kind of like a cardigan or something. You know, very, very well dressed. Well, not well dressed, like blue collar, well dressed. and, he, you know, I realized, I was like, holy crap, Uncle Ben, what are you doing out in California coming out of this movie theater? And he's like, Mark, I just sat through 30 plus hours of Marvel movies. And I was just like, wow, so, so you did this. I mean, that's, that's crazy. I mean, what, 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 what would cause you to do that? And he's like, you know, it's just my love for the, for the, for the genre. I love these comic book movies and, you know, plus... Yeah, I want to. I'm curious about what's going to happen next in the Marvel universe. I said, well, you know, the thing I really need to know, Uncle Ben, is was Spider-Man in Age of Ultron? Because I, you know, I go to the site that I write for has this article up all the time. So, so I want to know is he in it? And he was like, Mark, 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 easy there. Just, just you know, it would be irresponsible for me to spoil the end of this movie for you. It's like irresponsible. What are you talking about? He's like. Yes, Mark. Just remember, with great podcasts, there must also come amazing spider talk.